0: Flight 90 to Riga. 90, wow. Getting close to that <laughs> magical mark. Wow, and Riga, what a lovely place. Yeah, I also
1: thought that uh, first, uh, we're just coming out of the winter, although I don't know about you, but here it almost feels like clearly spring. Early spring I mean, it's yeah. super bright and... And also, we we haven't just haven't spring forward yet, so it's super light early in the morning. Oh, I love it. I love it when it's like this. But, but I'm a fan of summertime, so I can't wait for for Sunday. I, I know that the U.S. I think springs forward a different date. Yeah, they, they, they,
0: think they did it like three weeks ago.
1: Oh, there you go. Oh, sorry. <laughs> Because you know I like light mornings, but I prefer light evenings. Actually, so I can't wait for for Sunday for the change. Yeah, Riga, because we haven't been to Europe for a while, and maybe it's a cliche, but it's a winter destinations. So it's the last moment to do it, and I've been twice uh, recently. Another winter destination that you had been recently that was our last episode. It's so funny because right after we recorded, the name of the city changed. Yeah, that that doesn't happen very often, does it? <laughs> we were very timely. Had we recorded like three days later and we would have made a mistake so it went from Akmoli, Akmolings Celinograd, Akmola, Astana to now
0: Nursultan. yeah I can assure you I had absolutely nothing to do with that despite uh, <laughs> my being there right before this happened
1: so now the question is uh, will uh, Air Astana uh, change I'm one of our listeners on um, Instagram stansu33 said, well, let's hope that Air Astana keeps its name instead of renaming to Air Nursultan. <laughs> yeah, I,
0: I, I, that was one of the first things I thought of. I, I hope they keep it because it's it's quite an elegant name.
1: And uh, the airport, it's still called TSE from Grad. Uh, the airport actually is named Nur Sultan because that's in the name of the airport. Will they change your N-A-Z <laughs> for that's the last name? Because Nur Sultan, I should have said that earlier, is the first name of the ex-now president because he resigned, almost surprisingly. People There's, were not expecting yeah. that. And it's a successor one of these first decisions was to rename the city. So the city will not be named anymore capital city, but it will have a proper name.
0: Yeah, but well, that's true, because Estonia literally does mean capital, doesn't it? So perhaps it's not as elegant as I am uh, making it out to be.
1: But that won't prevent us from going there. actually. One of my routings I was looking for next month, because I'm still not traveling. We're still in March, recording March uh, 29th, 2019. So I'm going to restart traveling next month. I could be using Erstana. I'm still on the fence because I'm not part of any alliance, and I, I need to fight for a renewal. So I'm not sure. But you, you, you might fly it soon. I'm not y- sure yet. Yes,
0: possibly at the end of next month. I'm just still... still- as you will know, these things always take forever to come together, and then they do, and you scramble, and you book flights. But I hope so, because like you heard on the previous episodes, I've enjoyed my experience, both in the city and on the airline. Same.
1: Yeah, the route I was looking into would be in a 767, the same aircraft you flew, and since you described it as being so cool, Well, I flew I the
0: 757. 7- oh, 57, yeah, sorry. So I think the 767 is, is uh, even more impressive. Haha. I actually might even fly the 767 on BA might
1: have the luck before it gets retired next month we'll see fly with alexandra on instagram Corrected us. Corrected me, actually, because I think I made a mistake. Air Astana is a four-star airline and not a five-star airline, as we said in the last episode. And she also adds, have you seen their Embraer livery? I have not, but you have.
0: Yeah, that incredible tiger yeah. on the fr- on the nose of it. And it's a creative application of a livery because usually they are just, uh, you know, a-, a neat little tail or, or some... Uh, the embellishments on the on the fuselage, but this is on on all the way across the nose and uh, cockpit. It looks it looks fantastic. It's absolutely stunning. You saw it on the ground, I think, when you were in uh, Astana, yeah. Astana.
1: yeah. I was about to, yeah. I was hesitating about how to name the city. I'm not even sure it's still. I mean, I think they voted, but it's maybe not changed yet. I don't know. Anyway, no big deal here. Uh, since we are on a few feedbacks, kjor I think that was on Instagram. Sorry guys, because uh, I've been working so much. Uh, I've lost a bit track of everyone who written us. There's been a lot of you guys, so uh, sorry if I don't mention you if we don't mention you. And sorry if sometimes I don't remember where I saw you written something. He adds to the story that I think I mentioned in the last episode about that SAS plane to avoid because they used a very old... He adds that it's their backup plane. Well, it's a backup, but they're still using it. But they will actually put it in storage, abandon it because they're receiving a new A330 in May and will retire the 3 Forty, So there you go. I don't like 340s like you don't either. Yeah, so I'm it's not a good a news fan. for us <laughs> 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 On premium economy called SAS plus and I, I will come to that story about flying SAS and another flight in another episode because they have a very bizarre setting about what is premium economy and business SAS. He says it doesn't even have IFE so they hand out iPads on the flight uh, which is not too bad actually I, I, I think if it's an actual iPad why not I mean you had that with Aristana, it was pretty
0: cool Yeah I, I don't mind that at all I, I actually rather like it. If there's a moving map like a fixed moving map monitor somewhere in the cabin and an that's, iP- that's all. That's all I want <laughs> <laughs> And good food And good yeah Yeah <laughs>
1: On Instagram, Colorado, Mark, a relatively new listener, Will, your brother, introduced me to you guys not too long ago, and I'm now hooked. I work for one of the world's leading tour operators in the air department, so this gives me another way to let my air geek out, keep it up. Thank you so much, Mark. And, man, we have crazy... Crazy, crazy, crazy listeners. I love this. I mean, John, John Lawica, who's been writing us almost since the start, we, we started this uh, podcast. You'll be amazed, man. So, yeah, <laughs> he was flying from the US to Europe and he needed to get from Paris to London, mm-hmm. right? Uh, but he says the prices, and we know that the transatlantic prices are always so expensive. Yes. So, you, I mean. Paris to London. It's what? An hour and 10 minutes flight? Not even. Yeah, at the most. Yeah. So it did Paris, Doha, Doha, (laughs) Ethro. Because he wanted to fly... Qatar, the Q-suite on the 350-900. Uh, yeah, and okay. he had a great deal on, on points and everything, and he adds, it's a good excuse, that he, he wanted to try Qatar before they potentially leave one world because he was using miles. But still, going all the way to Doha to go back to Ethereum is amazing.
0: That's a that's a commitment to the game as far as I'm concerned.
1: Yeah, absolutely. But it cost him nothing. So yeah, well, good on you, John. We are sometimes a bit crazy on our routing, but this 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 is particularly, it's as if Alex, to go to Amsterdam, which you've been to uh, this past week, I think, instead of going direct, you would have gone through, I don't know, Houston and back. (laughs) (laughs) So how was that, by the way? How was going to Amsterdam?
0: Yeah, fine. Very easy. London City, which is, again, that departure and arrival never, ever, ever gets old. True. But every time I go through Amsterdam, I think I always send you a message going, you know, this is what airports should be like. It's so easy. It's so, Besides the taxiing time, yeah, yeah, I, I still think that's a little bit of a novelty because we did land. We came in over the over the water and landed at that yeah. that one, which is pretty much in southern France. And taxi, 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 <laughs> taxi, taxi, taxi. But we had a gate. You know, we were in a little M- E one ninety, and that was that was fine. I just like that airport in and out, no problem. Straight downstairs to the train station, zip into Amsterdam proper. What a joy! Uh, yeah. What a joy. And actually, I sent you this message I the the discovery that I must have walked over a thousand times in the D concourse, I think it is. There is a must be, I don't know, three meters wide by 10 meters lengthwise, transparent piece of flooring that looked down into the baggage system. I don't know how I never noticed this.
1: I've never seen it. It's incredible. I used to be in Amsterdam. I mean, we're talking years ago, but all the time, I've never seen
0: that. I don't know how I missed it. And I just sat there, mesmerized for a while. (laughs) You know, people were probably like, what the hell's wrong with this guy standing in the middle of the pathway, (laughs) looking down as these bags kind of zip by.
1: (laughs) Uh, also, for those who use Amsterdam as a hub or do transfer there, I believe that the exhibition on the the roof
0: is currently closed for refurbishment. Mm. I, was
1: it not featured in one of your... Yes, it was. It was. It? It's, yeah.
0: got, it's got an old KLM Fokker up there, which Fokker, you can go yeah. and play around in. I uh, think
1: that's closed, guys. If you yeah, just check on their website to know if, it, if that's the reason alone for you and... We know we're talking to some geeks that will actually choose hubs for these kind of experiences. Yeah. Uh, it's currently, I think, close for refurbishment. Uh, did you end up finding good food? Because you were asking me, what what should I eat there?
0: Uh, I found okay Asian food. Um, no, not not nothing to write home about. The, I was in the BA lounge, which has got a great view, but not great food. I didn't find anything spectacular. But I wasn't disappointed because it was an airport. And finding really spectacular airport food is... As a rare treat.
1: Again, for those who are using Amsterdam very often, let us know. Is there like a secret or a gem somewhere for really excellent food? It doesn't have to be Asian, by the way. Let us know if you know better this airport than we do.
0: Yeah, no, that would be good to know.
1: So you sent me a a video a few days ago that was taken by a passenger in a JetBlue flight. And I think the captain went on the PA
0: Ah. and she did this fantastic speech, right? It was so... I don't know if if this lady does this... Every flight, but it, I'm guessing not because we would have seen more of it, but it was it was this sort of two-minute speech. And the first thing that's impressive is it's not done from the flight deck. She's come out to the front of the cabin and done it on the uh, PA system there, standing at the front of the cabin. And she tells this story about how she's always wanted to be a, a pilot and her son... Now was asked if she, what he wanted to be when he grew up. I'm not going to spoil the punchline because I want you all to go and watch this. But it's a it's a wonderful <laughs> story. And then she goes on and gives lots of details about the flight in a very humorous way. And by the end of it, she's getting a an, an ovation from the passengers. It was two minutes that changed it from a normal flight to an exceptional flight. It brought humanity and humor to. I think it looked like a uh, one of the the trunk routes that JetBlue does. I think. It, maybe dc to boston or something like that but please go and watch it we'll we'll tweet it out on the uh on our on the layovers account it's just it was a lovely moment i really in, was happy to see something like that
1: yeah it put a smile on my face too i love it and i love it when you know, PA announcements are different. I love when the pilot steps out of the flight deck and actually comes and does that directly. Of course, it's in smaller aircraft, because if you do that on a 747, only the guys upstairs will see it. But it's it's so cool. Yeah. It's so cool. And I had, a, when I was flying, actually to Riga, actually, uh, yes, from Frankfurt to Riga, Lufthansa, uh, nothing that extraordinary, but... I remember the the pilot talked to us about everything he gave us you know what will be the V1 speed what was it take really? weight like explaining all these details that probably flew over the head of most of the passenger but he made for a very entertaining PA announcement. And I, I love this when it's not just, you know, of course, maybe we were a little bit ahead of time. So he had a bit more time to, to talk. But I loved it, that uh, it was a bit out of the ordinary. So kudos for these uh, pilots who do this kind of stuff. I I really lo- love yeah,
0: that. I will always appreciate more information than less information
1: have you also seen there was uh the story in the u.s again when i think it was a delta flight where a passenger realized and of course tweeted it out including a picture that the two people in the flight deck were mother and daughter absolutely amazing
0: (laughs) yeah i was horrified i was delighted by the story and i was horrified by some of the comments i read Uh, in reddit and airliners.net about it being a Safety issue, it it which is nonsense, of course, because this is this happens all the time yeah. uh, with <laughs> brothers or you know mothers and daughters, fathers and daughters, mothers and sons. It happens so frequently in an industry that size, and especially in in legacy carrier size airlines, and people yeah, just decided I, I... to poop all over it. Yeah, but there were also very cool comments. There
1: was like a few comments I caught on Twitter. There was. I think one, I don't have them in front of me, but I think one was, well, how do they do it? Because when my daughter and and me, and that was a mother talking, we drive together, we cannot even agree on which radio station to put on.
0: (laughs) Yeah, yeah, I I, I like that. I thought that was kind of fun.
1: Actually, the husband of the mother is also a pilot at American Airlines. So see, she's at Delta. He's at American Airlines. And her father was a Northwest Airlines pilot. Oh, so he runs in sick. a family then. And the other daughter is also a pilot. So basically, right, the entire family is pilots. I, I love that kind of stuff. Me too. There's no danger. Come on. Let's it's not be completely silly here. There was one uh, tweet that says, family flight crew goals. Yeah, I agree with that. Yeah. Didn't fly this month, but since Riga is are airport, the two times I went, I went with Lufthansa. The two times I went, I went through <laughs> Frankfurt. <Yeah. laughs> Actually, yeah, we just had like a few minutes ago. Zani Zarengi, one of our also very loyal listener, is uh, transferring via Frankfurt. And sent us buses, buses. He's like pissed off again. What can we do? The good thing, as I said, I think mentioned a few times, is as every single time I fly out with Lufthansa now from uh, Heathrow. there's always a 320neo, which is always uh, really nice. <laughs> I also had that from Frankfurt to Riga. And I was with a friend. We had met uh, by chance in the airport. And when I enter the aircraft, you know, I look at the date, like you do, uh, for Airbuses to see what is the birth date of the aircraft. Yeah. And I quipped, oh, the plane is older than you, Stefan, who is my friend. You know, probably Stefan. Yeah, of <laughs> course. <laughs> The crew knew exactly the age of the aircraft because they quit me back. What? Is he only eight months old or <laughs> <laughs> Oh, well. So since we are on Star Alliance, Swiss is introducing premium economy. It will start on spring 2021 on their uh, 777-300ER. They have quite a few of those. What is a bit uh, strange is that they just basically received these triple uh, sevens, so n- maybe not even two years after receiving them, they're going to retrofit uh, them with a premium economy, but premium economy is the future, I guess.
0: Yeah, it de- it definitely seems to be. I actually always get a little bit frustrated when I'm looking and I find a decent fare in an economy and an airline that there isn't a premium ah. economy because... You just go straight up to business class and it's orders of magnitude more expensive. I, I-, I think That's- this is a good thing. Yeah,
1: Swiss will also refurbish their 340s, so they're not ditching them yet, uh, which is also very awkward because their 340s were just refurbished as well. <laughs> it's very, and uh, it's interesting to to, uh, to know that the cost of all this will be around forty million dollars. It costs a lot just to, to add some seats, you know, to refurbish uh, planes. It's not a, a a small cost. And the triple seven will have four classes instead of, of three. They're keeping the first in some of their routes. I'm not sure where. Are they going to ditch some economy? Are they going to ditch some business class? I'm not sure. The pitch is going to be okay. I think it's uh, it's an average economy. It's not one of the best, but it's not one of the worst. So uh, not bad. Uh, Swiss has also introduced a new, and I'm sorry, guys, I'm talking about Swiss, but I'm Swiss, a new first-class amenity kit. I've never flown first-class on Swiss. It looks really fantastic. Made by Bali. Bali, not the place in Indonesia, guys. B-A-L-L-Y. <laughs> It looks really, really nice. Look it up if you can find it. Uh, And if you've ever flown Swiss first, let me know. I'll be hating you forever. We also know that Virgin Atlantic will unveil its new 350 upper class actually in one week. We don't know how it will look. Will they keep their herringbone or not? But the big news for us that live in the UK is the new Club Suite by BA. So what do you think? I I think...
0: I don't know how I don't know what I think. So to be completely <laughs> honest with you, I, I, I I'm hesitating because my expectation was low because BA, but the existing club world seat which we rail on was revolutionary. I mean, there was yeah. nothing like it. It was no. completely yeah. bespoke. Yes, it wasn't a great product in the end, but it was completely No, unique. when it started, it was it was absolutely amazing. I mean, when it was
1: released, I think 10 years ago, there was really, like you said, nothing like it. That's where I, I'm like you. I was, at the same time, like, OK, nowadays BA is, uh-huh. I mean, it's sometimes it's great, sometimes it's crap. We keep saying that. But because they had introduced that, my expectations were like, so what do should I expect, something completely <laughs> amazingly new? Or just something out of you know whatever other airlines are doing. They they went
0: the middle of way. Actually, yeah, they did. Right? Yeah, I think that that's fair. They it's a massive improvement, but it is off the shelf, and I, you, know, you can understand that too. I mean, the the cost required to create something from scratch and the time and you know having been peripherally involved and knowing the person that invented the original Virgin Atlantic upper class suites, which were you know, the herringbone design, the suite layout and all that, that was all invented by Atlantic and this guy in particular. Even years after he left, he was still on patent disputes and licensing and all of that for, with people who basically ripped off the idea. And it was a lot of work. So you can see why they went for something like this, which was the you know a customized version of an existing framework, if you will.
1: Most people know it as a super diamond seat. You can find it on China Airlines, for instance, from Taiwan or the Qatar 787. I think American Airlines have it as well on a few of their uh, products. Uh, it's now called, I think... Uh, elements because uh, it's been bought by Collins Aerospace. But they've added a door, which is not existing on all the products I just mentioned. So that makes it more private. It's a 1-2-1 one, one configuration instead of 2-3-2 two, two, currently on 777s, for instance. Uh, we only have seen the pictures of how it would look like inside of the 350, because right. that's where they will start it. I think in July, you'll have the first 350 delivered, so we'll see that. They will retrofit one triple seven at the start which I think will start flying in October. And then next year, their Dreamliners that are also coming in line will have these seats. The retrofit program for older aircrafts will happen. The speed will not be that fast, but not be either United slow, so it'll be in the middle. Cruz, the CEO, said that the reason they didn't go for a bespoke seat, and that comes to your point, is because it was a balance between the speed Speed of being able to deliver the product versus the creation of an entirely new thing. So they went for this middle way because they said we really are committed to changing our seat, and you wanted a fast rollout. Honestly, you know what? It looks not bad. I mean, the, the I like the fact that there is almost, what, two meters length? Uh, so that's 79 inches, which of course I'm tall, so I like that. Yeah. Obviously, it will all depend on the size of the cubicle at the end because so far... BEA travelers never had a cubicle because they're their feet completely free. So how will that be like when you want to sleep? I don't know yet, but it looks... Look, I'll give them... I'll give them kudos, because at least they're doing something. It's nice. The door, by the way, let there be no mistake, uh, the door is only 40 inches um, only. It's a door, guys. I know like, we're talking about privileged kids here, talking about <coughs> unhappy about a door. 40 inches of height, which is like almost like 120 centimeters. So it's not the Q Suite type of door, and it's not obviously First Class Emirates or all the others, but it's still a door. I've never seen the door on Mint... And or Delta 1, so maybe it's very similar. But, you know, it's, it's not bad. It's not bad. Yeah, I, I
0: again, I, I feel mixed about this. And I think that Johnny over the design airs, he wrote a great article yeah. about this. He summed yeah. it up nicely. He said, uh, we'd highly recommend this new product because we're huge fans of the Super Diamond seat. We just wish that there was a little more innovation and a little less procrastination <laughs> as it's taken the airline approximately four years to come yeah. up with a seat that can be found on multiple other carriers, but has a door.
1: That's a perfect definition, but I will be looking forward to fly that. There's a few things, yeah. There's a few funny things like uh, they 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 were touting. They were so happy about the fact that you'll have gate to gate IFE. Yeah, duh. I mean, a lot of airlines have gate to gate IFE, don't we? No, because you
0: have to push the screen back for safety reasons, you know? Oh, but, uh, it swivels. Yes, I see. What, right. Yeah. Okay. And That's I mean, the IFB screen is much smaller than Emirates. and From 17 to 18.5 inches. It's, again, in the middle. You have yeah.
1: smaller ones in some, uh, some airlines and you have much bigger ones in others. It's not bad. I don't know how the quality of the screen will be. There's quite some good storage, but a diamond seat has some good storage. And also, oh, yeah, interestingly, BA will keep. The center bins. Uh, We've seen a lot of airlines, Qatar is one, for instance, that for, you know, for giving this idea of space in the aircraft, especially in the 350s and and Dreamliners, they remove in the front cabins, they remove the center bins. But that's kind of a double edged sword because yes, it makes it like a more, you know, roomy environment, but sometimes it also leads to people being unhappy of not having space to put their stuff.
0: Yeah, you have to have a, a business class seat that has a ton of storage if you're going to do that.
1: Oh, and probably for you and me, a good uh, way to try them is that obviously because it's going to be not only a new product, but especially a new aircraft, the 350, the 350 will be flying between London and Madrid for a few months before they start putting it. I think it will, Toronto will be the first route to have it. So, I mean, besides going to Toronto, which could be a good idea for an attache episode for you, simply going to Madrid and back, which I used to do a lot, would be actually... uh, a good idea to try that product,
0: yeah. Yeah, it's those familiarization flights are always fun for stuff like that,
1: yeah, absolutely. And for those who don't want to fly BA but still want to see how it is, there's uh, on YouTube on their official channel, British Airways, you can find a 360 video of the product. It's not badly made, so you can have a feel of how it looks like. As for me, because I'm flying to Moscow with BA uh, in the end, I uh, finally, finally, finally had what you've experienced many, many times, Alex, that the business class was more expensive than first. And when I say more expensive, like three times more expensive, I... Exactly. Holy cow. And uh, so I'm flying first class to Moscow uh, on the way there with a Dreamliner and on the way back with a 777. I've never done it. I'm really happy to do so. The big question, not for my flight in general, is now they will probably have to refurbish first class as well because a door in business class, they need to kind of match that up, no?
0: Yeah, I think that's been the question a lot of people have been asking. I think they're not having first on some of the 350s, if not all of the 350s, but on the planes where they do have first 787, 900, some 777s and some 380s. Yeah, what are are they going to do?
1: British Airways also has introduced... (laughs) It's shortest ever route, a route that is only 54 miles apart. Simply, BA is currently flying from Heathrow to Bahrain, and the plane will now stop in Bahrain and continue to Daman in Saudi Arabia. That's 54 miles. doesn't even have the time to reach a certain altitude that it has to go down.
0: Yeah. <laughs> I wonder, like, that's one of those things where with taxi takeoff, altitude, and then configuring for approach, it's probably almost faster to drive. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Not to talk about a carbon
1: footprint, obviously. Yeah. Um, They had, that's interesting because I didn't know, they had BA flight 8499 was actually a limousine drive. So if you were arriving in Bahrain and you wanted to continue to Daman until now, until they actually create that new uh, connection, you would be put in a car, but that car
0: had a BA flight That's, that's hilarious. I mean, because you can't. I mean, they've got that causeway that connects Bahrain to Saudi Arabia. Yeah. And and you can. You can do it. I mean, that's that's hilarious.
1: What else? Lauda Motion. Uh, it's been acquired by Ryanair, as you guys know. They will remove the motion from the name. It will be Lauda. I like
0: that. Ah, uh, nice. So they're, so they're going back to that. I, that's great, because I think it... I didn't really understand why they called it Lauda Motion. I think there was some weird trademark dispute after Niki Lauda divested himself and then got back in. Perhaps this is just a natural evolution, but I'm glad. I'm glad yeah. that they're doing that too. And they're going to buy a few aircrafts
1: and they will still be based in Vienna, uh, probably because of Brexit. <laughs> yeah. uh, and they will uh, go to... A lot in Spain, I think, of course, in Germany as well. And uh, there will be a few flights to the UK as well. So, yeah, I've never tried, but I might actually uh, try that. Since we're talking low cost, the chairman of Norwegian is stepping down. Wow. Yeah. I mean, uh, we know that uh, Norwegian has quite some issues. Uh, We'll talk later about Wow, because that's an entirely different story. But he's the guy who basically created the entire story of Norwegian. The fact that he steps down could be read either, you know, he's done his time, and now it's time for a different type of management to make this airline last.
0: Or it's a bad sign, and he feels that everything is going to to crap. I hope it's not. I hope he's got the... He seems like a very pragmatic chap, and I'm hoping that this is just him saying you know we need perhaps a new approach to this and i'm going to hand over the reins to somebody he's not he's not a young chap either so you can no, yeah. you can understand that the rigors of this and seeing um Wow, which I'm sure we'll come on to in a little bit, um, what's happened to yeah. them. It's it's a competitive space, and and yeah. you'd understand.
1: We talked earlier briefly about uh, Taiwan with China Airlines. You spotted
0: a new airline. Yeah. Starlux. I found this on airliners. This is a new, that they'd opted to order a bunch of A350s. Yes, and correct. I said seventeen of them. Seventeen—that's 17 not a small number. Wow. And know. I was like, "Who the hell are these guys?" <laughs> and they are a new startup airline, and they are going to be out of Taiwan, due to start in 2020. They—they they were founded back in 2016. Four years—it's—it's it's pretty long, actually. Right? Yeah, they—they they, the company started. They applied for their application to fly in 2017, and. They were due to start flying at the end of this year. So two, two years is about is about right. But then I think it slipped to first quarter of next year. And they've got on order those those uh, 17 A350s and 10 A321 Neos. My first reaction was excitement. I love it when new airlines start, but my second reaction was, can Taiwan sustain three, yeah. full service airlines uh, they've got obviously china airlines eva and now these guys and they're flying long haul as well vancouver london chicago boston san francisco i don't know the answer to that question but i sure hope that they can
1: yeah me too the name the first time you sent that to me i was like isn't that like a cargo airline but i think it's Cargo Lux? There's, a, there's some airline that has Lux in them. Car- think, well, yeah, of...
0: there's Cargo Lux.
1: Yeah, so I wish them well, but it's uh, quite a daring to start flying only 350s, and only long haul. Usually you start with a smaller network, not like directly with 17 350s, you know, and uh, so,
0: well. It's aggressive, yeah. isn't it? I think it's... Uh, I, I'm not 100% sure who it belongs to or who funded it or... or or anything like that. I I don't recognize any of the names, not that I would, but usually these things are are, are backed by a big conglomerate, yeah. especially in Southeast Asia. Yeah. I see none of yeah. that. So good luck to them. I mean, I, I mean that, good luck to them.
1: Same, same here. And I, I'm hoping they join an alliance, and I'm hoping that I will fly them. I have also in my tracks price, I have an EVA air flight that I might be flying this year. I hope to be flying them finally, This year, but we'll see. Since we're in the region, let's not say that we called it, but we mentioned it in our last episode. Cathay Pacific has bought HK Express.
0: They have six hundred and fifty million dollars, I think, something like that, US. Mm. I I think this is a good thing. I think this is. I think it's certainly a very good thing for Cathay because it gives them access to a market that they have strategically avoided for a very, very long time, despite some of their long-term rivals like Singapore Airlines uh, doing that, which is this this low-cost market. And yeah. from what they claim, they are going to keep it as a separate entity, much like they did with Dragonair, yeah. up until, of course, very recently. And I I think I think it's good. Uh, they own a lot of the market. I think nearly 50% of the Hong Kong market now. It has to go through the competition's authority in Hong Kong. I have a feeling that won't be a problem. Uh, and that is supposed to happen by the end of this year. So we'll see. I, I, I have friends that work at Hong Kong uh, Express, and I hope that everything yeah. is smooth for them. I actually haven't been in touch with them. I didn't want to go be that yeah, kind of, of yeah. rubbernecker <laughs> in a way. But I, I hope this goes well and that the fares remain competitive because they do occasionally put out these crazy fares. One hopes that they, they have autonomy, but you know, when legacy acquires low cost, yeah. that really happens, yeah. especially when you've got such a, a tight grip on the market.
1: In aviation, you can never say never. I think that's mm. that was the CEO of Cathay because for a very long time, their stance on low cost was like, no, 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 no. But there you go. And my hope is, besides uh, same as you, that HK Express retains autonomy, is that there is still some interlining in place. So you can actually, for instance, take Cathay to Hong Kong, but then take that low cost to join a neighboring city, for instance. That would be very good.
0: That would be awesome.
1: And I hope that the prices... Stake really low cost and not like you say like go, like kind of edge towards more. Yeah, because it's how I
0: <laughs> get cost. to it's it's how I get to uh, Ishigaki. <laughs> so Man, please don't ruin you, it, guys. You go every year, so will you go this year
1: again? You're not sure yet.
0: Uh, well, you know what? We're we're working on it. Uh, <laughs> we are working on it. Hard. <laughs> Obviously, I I, I need to go, man. I
1: mean, now you've been taunting me for two and a half years with that destination. I've never actually been for some moment, especially we lived in Japan. Oh, my God. I'm, I'm so jealous. This, you, you talked about, uh, I, I, it's a silly news, but I just liked it. Since you just mentioned Singapore Airlines was a stowaway bird that made a surprise appearance in business class during a long flight from Singapore to London. That's what, 13 hours? uh i mean it's just a bird in a plane but there was like some videos of the crew trying to catch the freaking bird in the the bird had, had been probably sleeping in an overhead bin, because for the majority of the flight, nobody saw the bird. And then when the plane was, I think, two hours away from London, suddenly appeared and it started flying all over, the crew was unable to actually catch him. Maybe for some pilots who are listening to us, what happens when that happens? And have you ever, you, Alex, had a bird in a flight?
0: I've never had a bird, I don't think, but have I ever had a bird? I would be amazed if I haven't had some kind of animal. <laughs> lots, of, <laughs> lots of bugs, for sure, and you always wonder, yeah. like... Mm, you can see why like places like Australia and New Zealand oh, yeah. and some of the places go through Canada I think does this too where they go through with the, uh, the spray with yeah. the spray you know so I can see I don't think I've ever had a bird but you have to imagine if it was a if it was an angry and pissed off bird that could get messy really quickly or an incontinent <laughs> yeah, <you pass>. bird <laughs> I just had
1: the experience of having a bird in the tube in in the subway in London, and it's already messy, so I cannot even imagine what it would be in in flight. Talking about birds, it's an old story now, but there's a hawk that is uh, used by Ethro to scare, actually, the birds so that the birds do not go in the way of aircrafts landing and departing. The hawk name is Milo, and some morons captured and kidnapped milo i don't know why were they asking for ransom or maybe they were thinking to resell because these are obviously pretty hefty prices for these kind of yes. birds the cool story here is that milo such a smart hawk was able to escape his captors by untying its knots And he went back to where he belongs. What's an amazing story. Wow. (laughs) (laughs) That's crazy, man. (laughs) Talking about crazy. So we avoided that for the first 40 minutes of our flights. Of course, we have to do a follow-up of the 737 MAX. Uh, Thank you for all your comments, guys. There's a lot of comments. No time to go through them because it will be, again, a bit long to talk about this. I'm just going to mention one, uh, Nicholas Cook, uh, at Nicholas Cook on Twitter, a listener from Sydney here, really love your podcast. I know you find it uncomfortable to cover these unfortunate tragedies, but you do it with such care in a non-biased and informative way, which is so refreshing.
0: Really appreciate it. So thank you. We really appreciate that. It wasn't. Yeah, it, really I've, I've talked about this to a few people. It's not fun to talk about. As interested in, and uh, detailed as we may have, may have got, I, it's not fun. Not at all. Not Not at all.
1: So, I mean, so many things. I don't know even where to start. I think there's three main stories. There is obviously the whole stuff in the background, FAA and Boeing, what they've done. There's the actual problem, the actual system problem. And I want to mention, because Marcus Volterney was right, I made a mistake because I wanted to be... Maybe too fast, in the previous episode, I kept mentioning software. And software can be an issue, and it's always hard to judge, especially for authorities. Mm. But in this case, there's never been any mention of any bug in the software. It's really the system. It's the fact that the software was designed to do something that was not expected by the pilots and or the decision by Boeing that the software does something. So the software in itself is not buggy and didn't do something that was unexpected. Is the whole system. And, and Marcus, you were absolutely right. I should have used that term in, instead of software. There was a shortcut I shouldn't have. So, it's really, so that's the second part. And of course, the third part, because we have to mention is also training. But these three kind of overlap each
0: other. Yeah, that's uh, so so where do we start it, with this? It's a very <laughs> important point that Marcus makes, that a system is the confluence of software, hardware, and people. And that's there was a bug in this system. Uh, that's a very important Yeah, The way
1: it was designed was maybe not appropriate, but the software itself did what it was supposed to do, which in this case was to react every X seconds if the nose, etc., etc., etc. So there's no bug in the software. Let's make that very clear. So yeah, so I don't know. First, we learned so many things. We learned that uh, Boeing, and I, I, I refrained from mentioning that in the previous episode because I wasn't sure, but actually it was the case. Boeing, the MCAS was relying on a single angle of attack data, so the one either on the left or the right, which obviously is a single point of failure. Um, This whole story about optionality of safety, meaning that Boeing would upsell you a better MCAS, basically. I'm exaggerating here, uh, Marcus, before you (laughs) back at me. Uh, The fact that the pilots could have a signal on their uh, dashboard to tell them that, A, there's data that do not agree with each other. We know that some airlines in the U.S. have bought it. I don't think Southwest has bought it, but some others have bought it. Yeah, it, it was. Maybe South another. West, Southwest did buy it. Uh, so, so Southwest bought it, so maybe it's American that didn't buy it. I know one U.S. airlines didn't. Both Lion Air and, and Ethiopian didn't have that option. Uh, so it's... I, I don't know where to start. Where do you want to start with this? I, I, I Well, I
0: they've. Know. I think... Um... We can talk about what Boeing actually have, have implemented. They held a press conference a couple of days ago. Well, actually, it wasn't a press conference. It was a coming together of pilots,
1: pilots, yeah, yeah,
0: uh, customers. And what they have said that they've done is, and I'm quoting here, that these changes will, quote, eliminate the chance of erroneous data ever causing an MCAS activation. Hmm. So that system is going to collect data from those two angle of attack sensors, as you say, instead of just the one, which such a massive oversight in hindsight. Yes, when you think about it, it's negligence. Yeah, yeah, it kind of is. And that the, that optional AOA disagree thing, which they have a picture of. Again, the air current has such a good overview of this. There's a on the multifunction display that the pilots see. There is a. It's not a light, as I kind of imagined it would be in an yeah, old yeah. school. It's just a. It's an. It's an. It's a notification on the screen yeah, yeah. saying that there's. It's a disagree light. Yeah. Let's put it that like, way. It's not a light, as you say. But it's, it's no longer light. an option. It, it just.
1: Yeah, it was $80,000 for aircraft. And uh, I, I think because Ethiopian, had, uh, you know, Ethiopian would say, we we keep trust in Boeing. So they really wanted to make sure that. It, I don't think it was only simply commercial. They say, we trust Boeing. But at the same time, I don't remember who exactly higher up in Ethiopian said that this disagree light was amongst other options like ife yeah and extra oxygen masks for crew and the extra fire extinguisher in the back la 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 so yeah at least from now on boeing has promised this will be not only given to all the new uh, maxes but also retrofitted for free in the current ones
0: yeah Again, it seems like nickel and diming, but I guess maybe that's how airplane manufacturers make their money. Crazy. Um, The other thing that they've done is if a sensor fails and the data disagrees by more than 5.5 degrees, the MCAS won't activate at all. Yeah. Which seems like a key, that's the key fail safe here. Yeah. Um, That disagree will come up and if they disagree by more than 5.5, which is what they think might have happened in Lion Air, the MCAS system won't come on. Basically, you give back controls to the pilot alone, and you say to the pilot, okay, uh, the computer doesn't want to do this. Yeah, but, but there's something control very back. wrong. Uh, yeah, yeah and, and so the MCAS will only activate once for each indication that the angle of attack is too high. So it won't keep keep taking control like it, like it did with Ethiopian and Lion Air. Most importantly... The movement of the horizontal stabilizer when it's under the control yeah. of the MCAS system will never exceed a pilot's ability to override it by pulling back the yoke control. Those those what are they? Five points seem to mitigate this issue completely, um, and that's my armchair pilot and engineer. Yeah, same, same. Though though
1: I can't resist of saying this should have been there in the first place. <laughs> I, I I don't know I, I don't know there's been I mean there's been tons of, of articles of course Boeing has been suffering economically I think they lost more than 40 billion in market value but you know how it is it will regain that because they're still, you know they're they're gonna sell shell loads of, of these aircraft and others obviously there's been a, a little bit of management reshuffle as well. I think there's a new vice president of engineering. There's also the dedicated person to this investigation as well. No, they will fix it. There's been also, because let's mention that, there's been also discussions about the training of the pilots. And this is where it's a bit uh, two-sided because, for instance, on the Ethiopian crash, one of the pilots only had 200 hours,
0: I think, 200 hours? Am I yeah, right? I think of, I of- think they came out and said he may have had closer to 300
1: the still, you know, it's yeah, slow. 200,
0: 300, for a commercial airline pilot in a situation like this, you or I might have been there. But... Some other pointed out uh, that
1: the FAA, so in the U.S., until I think a few years ago, that uh, threshold to being able to be in a flight deck was 270 hours. So it's not as if it's completely unprecedented and it's, oh, you know, these countries do that. No, even the U.S., I'm talking seven, eight years ago, allowed pilots to be at 200, I think it was 230, 270. But the other one had like more than 8,000 hours. And interestingly, in the Lion Air one, there was the story of... The night before, so the flight before the fatal crash, there had been an off-duty pilot that happened to be on the jump seat, so in the flight deck, not doing anything. And he was able to recover the plane because he knew what to do at that moment in time. I don't know, was he trained or was he just smart? I don't know, because there's no more information about that. Obviously, that person wasn't there, and that knowledge wasn't in the fly deck when the Lion Air crashed happened. And the staggering staggering, um, information that, because we have now the voice recorder, they literally had 40 seconds to figure out what was what was happening and you can see that they were very calm they were trying to figure it out and at some point the pilot gave the commands to the first officer and and went and tried to find the solution on the checklist in 40 seconds i mean (laughs) if you don't know what you're supposed to do i mean
0: (laughs) yeah and and going back to your point about this pilot that's relief pilot that actually knew what to do he he or she, I don't know if it was he or she, yeah. had the presence of mind to pull the breaker to the MCAS system, basically removing power from it. I, I mean, that person must have had such an intimate understanding of the yeah. systems on that airplane to know what the problem was, what was causing the problem, and the solution to that problem in, one could argue, 40 seconds as well before something yeah. terrible happened. That, to me, is unbelievable airmanship and aircraft engineering the fact that they had to do that i think shows the severity of this situation
1: and also the fact that boeing kept now they've changed their stance but kept saying pilots do not need to know about mcas so there was a one-hour ipad training a said that their pilot had been trained they had received a simulator of course at some point the investigation will tell us i'm not completely dismissing the lack of training here but i'm saying Boeing said that training was not necessary because you didn't need requalification because it was the same aircraft. So, this is where, you know. Yes, pilots should have known, but if they were told by the aircraft manufacturer that, hey, no, don't worry, it will fly the same, you don't have to know, uh, then uh, the point is actually moot, right? Now they will know, because obviously with the crashes, you know, everybody will know that there's a system. And it, it, it's a very interesting, uh, I'm just gonna go like a minute in a more like high level discussion. It's very interesting, this man versus machine thing, because we're the same thing will happen to us, Alex, when we're gonna have like more autonomous driving cars. How much are you supposed to know that your car is doing? And we're seeing even with recent Tesla crashes, I'm not here pointing finger at Tesla, but the ones actually currently doing it, the system puts you in a false sense of numbness because you're like, the system actually takes care of it. Yeah, you're not. But, and then they say, the oh, exactly. Maybe because the system's cannot of that there's a truck in front of you suddenly warns you, hey, you have to take back control. So it's not only the fact that maybe the system is wrongly designed is that it puts us in the driver's seat, and him only only talking about driving because, you know, piloting is a bit different, but it's still kind of, it's very interesting because the more automation you put, the more this situation will happen. And obviously, automation with aircraft has been happening for a long, long time. So I'm not here dissing automation. I'm just saying this is a very interesting um, tension. And the whole debate about what should we know and should we not know is also big because I know it's not a relevant analogy, but I don't know everything that my computer does in front of me right now. And I don't need to know. But, of course, I'm not putting anyone in danger when I'm doing that. So it will be, I think, a very long debate to know what should the pilots know should a driver know to take back control when how do you make him or, or she take back control because he's not she's not used to take back control
0: anymore i don't know it's yeah, interesting it's going to prove to be and we have months and years after they fix this problem and the airplane is back in the air there's going to be this long conversation is of have they kind of uh, yeah ostracized the pilot community and 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 reduced their their role in, in in all of this to the point of A disaster,
1: literally. Mm -hmm. Thank God we're not recording closer to at least me reading some of the news about Boeing. Because I was really, you know, probably because I'm a fan of Boeing, maybe not as a a big fan as you are, but I I like the company. I was incensed. I was like, guys, what the hell did you do? Why would you go and make all these optional stuff? And I I I would have gone into a very bad rant, and I'm more quiet today. But still, there's stuff that is... I think Boeing knew that it was or is it simply because it was too big or there's inertia but there was something wrong because, for instance, when you compare the design differences, so every time they, they put a new aircraft, guys, especially if there's no new requalifications, it's the same aircraft, they have to submit paper to the regulators yeah. telling what are the design differences between the predecessor, in that case the NG, and the current one and the MCAS was, for instance, mentioned in the Brazil regulator uh, document, but not mentioned in the Canadian document. So the Canada regulator didn't have any mention of MCAS in the document. So having a different proposal for each country meant that maybe they knew that something was... They were playing the limit. Okay, maybe this regulator needs to know because their rules in their country are more strict. I don't know. It's... uh, it's insensing to me to, to, to read that. And also the other thing of, of the FAA, this time the, the US, is that because a lot of the systems were self-certified by Boeing, and that's the most staggering of, of them all to me, is that the MCAS was said to being able to move the plane by an angle of 0.6%. That's what they had on the FAA certification. But since Boeing was going so quickly because they were clearly trying to catch up with the A320neo, by the time the plane was released, the MCAS was able to move, and you said it in the past episode, to move the aircraft by, I think, 2.5% instead of that 06 So even the FR regulation that was maybe self-certified but then, of course, put a stamp by the FAA wasn't respected when the plane was, was, was actually in service, which... Again, it's negligence. Again, I understand. I mean, it all stems from, you know, Boeing needed to probably being a bit arrogant for a long time and thinking that, you know, Airbus will be a flash in the pan. It's like this conglomerate of European countries. This will not last. And suddenly they release a 320 neo American wants to buy the 320 neo And then suddenly Boeing says, holy shit, you know, actually this is becoming something problematic for us. And instead of going into a long development cycle of a new aircraft, which would have taken 10 to 15 years, they say, quick, 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 we need to come up with something. We need to come up with something for fuel efficiency, et cetera, to beat the 320neo. And they were maybe so fast that they cut corners. I don't yeah, know.
0: I, I, I think that that's a really important point. Not only have Boeing come under a lot of scrutiny, but the the certification process and the regulatory process are coming under political scrutiny now there were hearings on what are we today friday on wednesday in the u.s senate the faa the director was brought up uh and grilled about how how this could happen and how this self-certification stuff was going on he countered the fbi F- oh, and the fbi yeah yeah exactly he countered by saying that self-certification was a practice used globally including by the european um aviation safety agency but that to me is such a cop-out of an answer. And I think the senators, as useless as most of them are, fired back and say, yeah, and look where that got us. Nearly 400 people are dead. Sully,
1: it was interesting to see his change of stance. It's not a full change of stance, but at first was pointing the finger out to lack of training of the pilots, both at Lion Air. And at, uh, he was not putting his finger, but he was hinting that maybe, you know, lack of training was yeah. like a very a heavy contributing factor. Let me remind you guys that ICAO the regulation says 200 hours is sufficient. It's not Ethiopia or Indonesia that decides. It's the body that regulates the whole thing that says 200 hours is sufficient. So maybe that could change. But he went from that to a very, I forgot when I, where I read that, a very dire article, accusatory article towards the FAA. And not the FAA itself, but simply the government saying that, I will quote here, for too many years, the FAA has not been provided budgets sufficient to ensure appropriate oversight of a rapidly growing global aviation industry. Staffing has not been adequate for FAA employees to oversee much of the critically important work of validating and approving aircraft certification. And to make matter worse, there is too cozy a relationship between the industry and the regulators. He has a point. And that's like you said. It's not. It's not exclusive to the FAA because I think all the and I think we hinted at that in the previous episode. All the regulators face that issue. How you know to cope with the massive amount of work. But clearly, in, in the US, we're seeing, and that's what you just said. We're seeing there will be a movement. I'm not sure they will because I think they will need tens of billions of dollars to be the FAA to certify all by itself. But there will be probably a rebalance of the relationship of who certifies what. What other processes in place because. Yeah, it cannot go on like that.
0: No, I it so. can't. And 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 one hopes that that the changes to the regulatory process and the certification process take all that in, into account. They balance oversight with with getting these airplanes to market in, in an efficient way that doesn't stifle innovation. And I think again, like you said, they've been operating in their own vacuum for way too long. And here we are having to talk about uh, two horrendous events.
1: Yeah, yeah. This will go on. I'm not sure we want to talk about that in every episode because it's really, again, not fun. It's fascinating, at the same time, the ramification that uh, happens in the industry. But again, we don't have the results of the investigation. We know that Boeing will be suffering because, so not only, I think you you mentioned that in a previous episode, Garbuda has canceled its order. I don't think everybody will consider all that. That will never happen. But... But there are airlines that are preparing to ask for compensation for the flights that, you know, I think American Airlines is cancelling 90 flights a day or something because they don't have the capacity because of the lack of 737s. Other airlines in the world, Norwegian actually is one of them, maybe Spicejet as well, will ask for compensation to Boeing to say, okay, well, we'll kind of fly. We don't know when this plane will be actually ready to fly. We bought it from you. You owe us like, some guarantees, so or we'll ask you for monetary. So th- it will bite Boeing somehow still.
0: Yeah, I, I absolutely will. And I think yesterday, the first lawsuit from one of the oh, wow. passenger relatives was filed in Chicago, So, and it certainly won't be the last. So they they will have to, to deal with that as well. Yeah, it's interesting because usually
1: in the U.S., U.S. judges dismiss these kind of cases when they come from abroad. So when a crash happens, like in this case, Indonesia, for instance, uh, they say, okay, this is not the relevant court. You have to do that in in Indonesia. And then the Montreal Convention kind of applies, whatever. But in this case, some judges might actually accept because there was a fault at the start in the design of the aircraft, in the decisions that were made in the background, again, to catch for the 320neo that maybe were cutting corners. Thus, there is a criminal case in the u.s and that could also be big
0: yeah uh, absolutely and i think also the nationality of some of the of the victims as well plays into that so it'll be very interesting to see how these pan out
1: anything else you want to add about this in this episode no
0: I, again there are more to come yeah
1: more to come we'll try not to go for uh, too long in every episode i think we'll even try to avoid it but it's again it, it is uh both sad and uh, a bit infuriating when you read some of the stuff that Boeing might have done. It was it, again, that uh, culture shift when they moved to Chicago instead of staying in Seattle? But Boeing will recover. It's a great company. We know that they will fix things. They will have their introspective moment. And uh, we also hope that uh, the families of the, the two crashes actually will be uh, compensated. I mean, Money doesn't bring you back a loss, but I think
0: they deserve it. Uh, yeah, I agree
1: completely. Yeah, so let's talk about other type of difficulties, but not as dire, thank God. First, uh, jet airways. This is really going really bad for them.
0: Yeah, they are <laughs> struggling. There's been a trending story on the front page of airliners for like months now that they're that they're running out of money, but it just keeps getting worse and worse. They
1: had at some point, I think, one-sixth of the Indian markets. It's a big market. that They were a big player. They only have 10% now, and they have like aircraft repossessions. They have no more money to pay anything. Some of their crew have not been paid for three months. Some of their ground crew and maintenance crew, not for more than three months, actually. At first, they were thinking of putting some money, but he it had its own issues. Right? Yeah,
0: like they have any money to throw around. <laughs> and
1: they decided not to, even probably to sell the share they already have. But, you know, I understand, Etihad, because the market of India is so big, having a feeder to Abu Dhabi is at least on paper, is a great idea. And proof, since the relative demise of jet airways, Indian passenger traffic in Abu Dhabi has dwindled, and who is the winner? Dubai. Mm-hmm. Because suddenly people are reshuffling. So I, I understand why, at least at the start, Etihad was you know investing in such an airline, but I think it's really going really bad. Since, before we move to wow, because that's the other <laughs> wow story, since I just mentioned Etihad and Emirates in the same news, because we believe that at some point these two might join. It was interesting to see the stance of the two execs because you have Tim Clark that basically says it will be the will of the rulers. So he doesn't say yes or no. It doesn't just... You Which know, is very... kind
0: of a genius move, really, because it completely says, look, whatever they want to do, we'll do. So if they want it to happen, then it'll happen. And then he can go to them and say, we really think this should happen or not happen. <laughs> and Tony Douglas, the chief exec of Abu Dhabi,
1: says... It's clown-esque, lazy media reporting to even consider that this could be happening. <laughs>
0: well, because he would lose his job. That's why.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I think he mentioned the term clown six times in one sentence about this. Yeah, he doesn't want to lose his job. Actual, uh, I, I still reality. think
0: it would make a formidable tie-up. It really would.
1: So, wow. Well, last night, basically, wow, it completely disappeared. It's gone. It's gone. Wow, yeah,
0: uh, there... Yeah. There was rumors that they were trying to get this debt financing or or financing from, I think, Indigo Partners, who back uh, a few of the ultra-low-cost carriers in the U.S., and I think Wizz Air in Europe here, and then... Those talks broke down, and shortly thereafter, the talks with Iceland Air broke down. Who were sort of on again, off again, on yeah, exactly on again. It's like <laughs> investors. It's
1: like an relationship. Yeah.
0: yeah, exactly. And then then there was this rumor that, or not even a rumor, a statement from WOW saying they were going to convert some debt to equity or equity to yeah, debt, yeah, yeah, yeah. and that there would be an announcement at 9 a.m. yesterday with further details. But they were pausing the flight schedule to then, and then 9 a.m. comes along saying, "No, we're done. That's it. That's it. We're done. We're no, no more. Every, everything's." canceled, you're on your own.
1: But the writing was on a wall. We've been talking about that for a long time. But especially when Icelandair went back, basically their hands, not forced, but influenced by the government, because the government wanted to save the jobs of WoW Air, they said, can you go back and, you know, because the last time they opened the books and said goodbye, so can you go back? And Icelandair said, we're going to use the failing firm defense, meaning that the only reason we're going to even look at maybe acquiring WoW would be because it's either we acquire it or they're dead. It allows you to preempt the fact that hey, do not come with antitrust after we're telling us we have a majority of the market because basically you're asking us to save another company. Yeah. But even they did that with all you know the influence of the government. Again, they reopened the book and said, you know what, forget it. They closed the book like a day later. Uh, that was done. They already had been like a few aircrafts that were repossessed around the world, especially in the U.S. The aircraft was sitting on
0: the floor, and the lesser just put... Like a padlock kind of... (laughs) Exactly, a padlock. You're not leaving. It's bad. And we talked about that. We're sort of dissecting this in real time as it happens yesterday. Yes, the writing was on the wall. A lot of people have been very flippant on Twitter about it and, and all of the other platforms where we discuss this stuff. But no good can come from this. No. You know, there are people stuck all over the world and... Icelandair, EasyJet, Virgin Atlantic have all stepped in with discounted fares. Mm-hmm. But those people, those passengers still have to buy those fares to get home. And, and yep. you know, that's that's not always going to be easy. And then, of course, pilots and flight attendants and ground handlers and crew all over the world out of a job overnight. And that's, to me, the biggest tragedy. This The second one, which is of less importance, but it is still so important, is that Wow, we're putting a lot of price pressure yeah. on transatlantic yeah, yeah, yeah. fares, and that's just one less pressure point, you know. And I fully agree with that. That's Man. you know, it's whether it's capacity it or not, it was price pressure. And you were seeing some yeah. very competitive all the way over to LA, not, not anymore because they ditched those A330s when things started to go bad, yeah, yeah, but. You know, it's sad all around. It shows how diff Even, was it Ayata tweeted yesterday, a list of airlines that died in 2018 and a list of airlines yep. that have died so far. And just saying, it's really difficult to run an airline in Europe. And they're yeah. right. It is. I mean, it was Primera Air. We mentioned it. It was Fly BMI. Cobalt. It was, uh, Monarch,
1: Cobalt. I know we have listeners uh, from all around the world. Some of you might not even know all these airlines. And because we live here, we mention airlines that you don't know. Sorry, guys. But yeah, it's a surprisingly competitive market. And probably as well, some of these airlines were launched, you know, I I remember I said where we are talking about, I think it was, wow, actually, like five episodes ago or something, I said, you know, paying one credit card with another. Mm-hmm. And at some point, just just falls apart. It's, it just can't go on forever. And for us, you're right, less competition is bad. Yeah. It's just bad. Yeah. And I, I've never flown wild. I mean, the reviews were very so-so,
0: let's be honest, but it's bad. No, you're right. I, I, think, I think the reviews weren't stellar by any stretch of the imagination, but you got what you paid for. I mean, you were paying half to a quarter of what the legacy carriers we're doing across the Atlantic. And you need that kind of pressure, I think, on the legacy carriers. And we still get it. We get it from Norwegian and we get it. You know, United have sort of thrown the book out the window, playbook out the window for for transatlantic. Yep. That's great. But there's still, you know, you look at the percentage of ownership across the Atlantic and it's it's concentrated with just a few carriers.
1: Yeah. Oh well. At least these carriers, when they take off they know where they land. BA, for some reason, <laughs> landed in a <the> rock city. <laughs> okay, let's be honest. It was WDL. So it's uh, it's not BA. They fly on the. I mean, the plane looks like BA. It's another company, but still, I think at the end of the day, it was what probably a a, a false uh, flight path, like a mistake. It's not the pilot who forgot to fly. So they were supposed what London to Düsseldorf, and they flew London to
0: Edinburgh. Edinburgh. Is that, that? yeah? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, and that's, I mean, you often, well, I mean, often hear stories of uh, flights landing at the wrong airport in a city at night because they look very or even during the day because they look similar. They have some similar runway alignments and all of that. And I guess one can understand, doesn't excuse it at all, but you can understand it a little bit better. This is something else. And there's some wonderful <laughs> reaction video of people when the pilot says, okay, welcome to Edinburgh. And everyone's like, what?
1: <laughs> oh, I've not seen it. Oh, wow, there's a video. Yeah, yeah,
0: there's a video. <laughs> uh, so, geez, I mean, I'm still 100% sure how this happens. Yes, they clearly filed the wrong flight plan. Yeah, But didn't somebody go... Uh, are you supposed to be going to Dusseldorf? To Dusseldorf? And uh, it was a BA, at least they got to fly on a 146, right? Or yeah, an Avro I guess it was. But man, I, mean, I love, have
1: you seen that Ryanair
0: stupidly, no, it was uh, a on purpose,
1: put us yes. like, uh, I think uh, what, it was a flying for dummies or something, geography like a of- for dummies or <laughs> dummies. something <laughs> like
0: that. I was thinking when I first saw that tweet stuff like this never ever goes well, ever. It didn't. because people
1: resurfaced old stories. Uh, There was a Ryanair flight that landed wrongly on a military runway instead of the airport. And there's been other stories of Ryanair also wrongly. And and some people were also more like um, cheeky and saying, yeah, from the airline that pretends to be landing in Paris, whereas actually they're landing like 500 kilometers away or something. (laughs)
0: Yeah. Yeah, they they did like customer service for dummies and... Are you going to charge him to read the book? You know, that type of thing. It, that's That type of marketing, if you can call it marketing, never goes well, because karma will eventually bite you in the ass. There was a guy. Maybe we mentioned a
1: story. We have, you know, we have 90 episodes now, so I forgot which stories we ever mentioned. Do you remember this guy who bought a ticket to Sydney? But instead of going to Sydney, S Y D N E Y, bought to S I D N E Y, which is a small town in the U.S. Oh yeah, like ended up like flying, and he had never flown in his life, so had like no kind of concept of you know context, which
0: direction, whatever, and end up in this whatever small village. <laughs> Yeah, there's yeah, I I remember that, and and people often make the mistake between San Jose, California, and San Jose, Costa Rica. Oh uh, yeah, which is SJO versus SJC or other way around. Yeah, that's understandable because they're not you know they're not in the in the airline game, and but this was an airline. <laughs> oh well, it's fun. It is I, funny. I don't, no one has heard. I, to be frank i don't think i would have been angry i would have kind of oh whatever i would i think i would have said does this mean i get another flight on a 146 <laughs> it's more miles since we were just talked
1: about uh, australia uh i mean not really australia but the other sydney i need to find where that other sydney is i'm still hoping to get to australia this year because you are our third largest listener base i think guys in australia so i know We need to go down. Strangely enough, our biggest listenership in terms of a city is Seoul in South Korea. Wow. I have no idea. And that precedes the Gimpo episode. Of course, we covered twice in Xi'an. Is that... I don't know. So hello, guys from South Korea. Hello, Seoul. (laughs) Tell us what we should talk about more. Are there other airports in South Korea that we should do? There's a... What's the name of the other city that I I need to visit? Uh, Yeah. I need to go to that airport, guys. I will promise you. But yeah, Australian friends... We will eventually come and hopefully for me this year because it's something that might be in the works i'm not going to reveal it yeah. and Qantas which i also hope to fly one day again i think i've flown it when i was a kid keeps working on that super long ultra long flight that they might one day do from london to sydney and back and also to the us they've asked customers what should they do and and I'm always like, I mean, at the same time, it's cool, but I don't think it will ever happen. So virtual reality relaxation zones, exercise areas, stationary exercise bikes, an in-flight cafe, parts of it put in the cargo because for such long flights, they assume that cargo won't be able to be, you know, fully loaded anyway because the aircraft needs to be lighter. Do you really think any of these will? Actually, ever
0: happen? I think the only thing that I think is practical and actually makes sense is if there was some way. And I, one assumes they're going to use either a 787 or a plane that they've wanted Boeing and Airbus to design. I think the 350 could at some point do it as well, yeah. If you have a space at the back of the airplane like you do with Emirates in business class where you can just yeah. get up and stretch your legs, Yeah. I honestly think that might be all you need other than, yeah. of course, <laughs> generous leg room and sensible food choices. But I think they're already doing that on the Perth route as uh, as it stands. They've kind of redesigned the menus. But if you have that space where you can just... That's yeah. not a galley where you're just getting in the way of the, of the poor cabin yep. crew. I, I honestly think that's maybe all you need. And I'm talking for economy here.
1: Yeah, and they could even monetize that. I, I know I'm not going to make friends about saying that, but having a small cafe or bar. But all the rest... Because I remember... Uh, what, 10, 12, no more, 15 years ago when you know the 380 was implanted, people were talking about gyms and casinos oh, in the 380. Yeah. And- Uncle yeah, Richard I mean, was all know. over that. <laughs> I mean, nothing happened. At the end of the day, you want to put like yeah, passengers yeah. in the, the aircraft, right? So uh, the other thing that Qantas was uh, thinking about was going to windowless plane. And they say uh, Emirates has uh, this technology in their uh, new first class when you have in the center Seats when you have these uh, virtual windows. I don't think that the passengers are ready for no windows, but at the same time, I don't think, from what I've read, that the technology is scalable yet to an entire aircraft, at least
0: at the cost that is bearable. No, I don't think so either. Maybe in 30, 40 years, we'll see that, but I don't think we're there quite yet. I hope not. I like have them. you experienced I would... the Emirates ones yet? No, no. Just no, danced no. it, right? <laughs> One route I've been
1: eyeing, because since I'm often in Asia, if I were to stop on the way back to Europe in Colombo... There, you can have flights from Colombo to Dubai, which are extremely cheap, especially to upgrade yourself in first class, because I would never buy a first class ticket, but I would use miles. I've been eyeing that for quite a while, but I mean, I need to have, you know, I mean, first of all, I need to be close by, I need to find a flight that makes sense to go to Colombo then, and then flying back to Dubai, so it's not something I'll make out of whim. And like John, who... When I said at the beginning of the episode, you go to Doha and back. I mean, I wish, but so I want to try it. But Stan said for me, like you, it's way too far.
0: Yeah, it's not the it's not the easiest place for me to get to.
1: Yeah, but since we're talking about both Emirates and big aircraft, the 380 from ANA, they've got their oh, areas yeah, now.
0: Oh, it looks so cool. No? It does look great <laughs> It look, with the whale design on it. It's perfect for the whale airplane that they're going to be using on their Hawaii routes predominantly, aren't they? this one is a turtle turtle oh the first one was a turtle right they're all marine based yes they're fantastic i so sadly because people who criticized
1: that on twitter and i would tell them that you've lost part of your childhood if you do that they actually look super cute and they look especially great on a 380 which has this weird shape already so instead of being euro white, it's fantastic—the head of the turtle with the eyes and everything. I love it. I love it. I love it. I love it.
0: Yeah, I, I do too. Um, Sam Chewy, who always seems to be invited to these things, was there oh at my the God. unveiling in Toulouse. Was it Toulouse or was it? Uh, yeah, Toulouse. Bamber. He went from Toulouse to Narita. And they've got—they uh, showed the inside of the airplane and a lot of renderings and stuff. But uh, yeah, it's—it it's, looks. It looks cool. It looks great. They've got the the rainbow mood lighting. The standard, oh, I think it's the standard ANA business class. Although they've they've taken the kind of clinicalness out of it. I, that was my only critique. There's a little bit of wood paneling. Yeah, it looks it looks great. I, I can't wait to see it fly. I don't think I ever will until I get back to Japan <laughs> um, or go to Hawaii. I don't know. For
1: you, the best option would be probably when you are in California, going
0: to Japan, stopping by in Hawaii
1: maybe this summer when you are in California, you could just hop by Tokyo.
0: Hop by Tokyo or at least go to Honolulu and see it.
1: <laughs> by the way, uh, did you know, since we're talking about the 380 and the demise, the sad demise of 380, when we talked about the demise, we said that there was uh, the 380 that ended up existing. There was Boeing. They were thinking of creating also a massive ship. That's the term I've used, but then bailed and went for other options. But Sukhoi, the Russian-based manufacturer was also going for a massive. And it's called a KR-860. You can Google it while I talk if you have never seen it, Alex. It's it's amazing. It's a full double-decker. It was presented at the 2001 Paris Air Show. Four engines. uh, I have never, ever (laughs) seen this. (laughs) It was called the Wings of Russia. Krylia Rossi. I don't know how you say, guys, when I'm in Moscow next week, correct my Russian, please. The name Krylia. KR860 is that 860 was a number of passengers it could hold. 860 is just insane. Yeah, I think a 380, the, it never came to fruition, but a full economy variant of a 380 would go to 800. But the usual 380s are around 550, 600. So 860 passengers. And... <laughs> until a thousand it was entirely economy which is completely with like I think 12 abreast seatings with three ales it would have been the first aircraft with three ales <laughs> it's where it's you think it's, it's just it was just a design thing and not an actual aircraft to help the whole thing go faster like how would you move passengers in and out uh, so you know for the 380 airports had to retrofit like an extra bridge etc was complicated they had built in, within the aircraft, three escalators that would, from the hull, go down to the ground. And people would actually, actual escalators, so people would actually go down more rapidly. <laughs> it's
0: just I mean, I know that when they, whenever they pitch a new airline platform, and this is everybody, they go, this is what it could theoretically do. Yeah, yeah uh, I know. And I then know, everything gets paired back. So I, I take I know, I, a know that's what, no,
1: that, I, I know. This I know. But I love
0: I'm it. This- There's two smart things. Of course,
1: this aircraft never went to fruition. They expected only to build 300, which is, by the way, around the number of uh, uh, 380s that were built. So that's also why they kind of given up because it would have never made sense economically. But there were two things that were very smart about the program. The first one is that from the start, they had a cargo variant not only a passenger variant, and they also had a liquid gas variant. That was very smart to do that from the start. But the other thing which we'll see in our lifetime, Alex, because they had such big wings, they also had folding tips. So the Russians came up with the folded tips before the Americans. So they were way ahead of the game. Of of course, they never developed it. So we can say that actually Boeing is doing it. But it's interesting that there was uh, such a plan. And obviously, we're talking, uh, you know, 20 years ago, Geopolitics was different, so the idea was to sell that more to countries that were less friendly with Boeing and Airbus. So to go, of course, China, uh, India, uh, you know, uh, Africa as well. So that would have been the case. It never happened. But anyway, guys, Google it, the Sukhoi kr 860 it's really cool there are some pictures of course of the not the real pictures It never actually was designed but it's really really fun did you not tell me alex that what was it city liner
0: kind of canceled or Sukhoi? city jet
1: Talking about yeah city jet sorry uh, city
0: yeah they they had them now i gotta remember how how it it worked they were going to operate them for Scandinavian Airlines, maybe on behalf of Scandinavian Airlines, and they did for a while, but then they they just proved, I think, not to be um complementary to their to the operational model. I think they weren't getting the performance and dispatch reliability that they were hoping for, which actually is turning into be a, a bit a big issue, and they um, got rid of them. Oh wow. And I gather, I saw yesterday that Interjet in Mexico is considering doing the same thing because they split their fleet between um, the Superjet and 319-320 and they're going to focus on the 319 and
1: 320. I mean, I just would like to see more diversity. So having a SSJ flying is amazing. And I'm also a bit sad if um, Sukhoi cannot sell it. I mean, they have orders from the Russian market and probably,
0: I think, somewhere in Asia. But uh, yeah... Yeah, they would like to see it in it, real life. It's. I think it's proven, unfortunately, to not be mm. um, just not be reliable. The other one we haven't heard for a while is that Mitsubishi. Yeah, that's gone very quiet. That's a great yeah. point. Actually, we should uh, we should focus on that in uh, next episode. But since I'm
1: going to Russia and I just mentioned uh, Sukhoi, another uh, Russian air framer, Aircut, they've actually have uh, commenced their uh, testing, flight testing with a MC21-300. So the MC21-300 is basically a competitor to the 737 MAX and 320 NEO. It's a twin jet engine, which will start operations in 2021, carrying, that's the estimate right now, 165 uh, passengers i had never seen it, but you can go online and see um, the MC-21-300. And it looks like, you know, like all these aircraft, they kind of look a bit the same. Let's be honest. nothing. Uh, but it's nice to have a third option or a fourth. So, yeah, let's hope uh, for them that these experiments bear fruits and they actually are able to sell some of these. Um, it's always nice to have new, new aircraft. I like it.
0: Yeah, yeah, it is. It, you're right. It does look like everything else. It has flown. Yeah, that's the thing. It, it's actually, it's not like a just a, An idea. a design idea. They've built three, and that's the first one that's flying, I think,
1: if I'm not mistaken. Maybe some friends of ours in Russia could tell me differently, but I think it's the third one built, and that's the actual flight testing. So it will clearly fly at some point. Great. Yeah. Anyway, have you ever been to
0: uh, Riga? Yes, I have. What a lovely oh, place. Oh, do you remember the airport? When was that? It was a while ago, 2012, 2011. It was one of my most enjoyable flights because I flew from Helsinki to Riga on that oh, really short, short hop. It was my first prop flight in, probably since I was a teenager. So I was like oh, a wow. kid in a candy store. It was um, Fly B operating on behalf of on Finnair when they, they had there was this weird agreement that they had. It was a Dash 8, so I just, I I loved it. So that was such a positive introduction to to Riga. I absolutely loved it. Did you like the airport? I liked the airport. I liked the, the airline. I liked the city. I was just, yeah,
1: really loved it. It's a very pretty city. I've been only twice, and the two times, guys, have been very recent, because my first time ever was in November. My second time ever was in February, end of February, so exactly a month ago, actually, twice in the winter, Quite cold, but I really enjoyed it. It's a small city, but it's very cute. People are amazing. Kind of almost feel, I'm not sure if that's the right word, a renaissance, because obviously this is one of the countries that was under the USSR and kind of had to reinvent itself after 1990. And it's really, really, really nice. I also went to the countryside. It's also very nice. Uh, perfect destination for extended weekend, for instance, or I really enjoyed it. The airport itself is not big. I think it handles maybe, what, three million passengers a year. I'm not even sure. The biggest route is to and from London, so that's mostly Air Baltic. Actually, yeah. when you try to book on BA, that would be Air Baltic. They use CS300, so the Airbus 220, should we say nowadays. I've never flown them because every single time, again, I flew with Lufthansa because both of miles, but also, to be honest, pricing was less expensive to freaking Frankfurt. Frankfurt turns out to be the third destination from Riga Airport. The second uh, being Moscow, where I'm going next week, but I'm not, obviously, uh, commuting through through Riga. It's a super easy airport. Basically, has two floors. The ground floor is the arrival, but it's tiny. You actually arrive on the departure floor, and then you take a set of stairs or an elevator or a small escalator, and you go downstairs, and you belch out immediately in the streets. Oh, super easy. They say they have three terminals. I love it. I think it's A, B, C, but honestly, it's like... A, you walk 30 seconds, you're in B, and you walk 30 seconds, and you're in C. So it was cute, you know. Uh, but that kind of segments your way fine, you know, to kind of find your way. There's some nice lounges. I had done this hackathon. You remember, guys, in a lounge. It was a new C lounge. It's pretty nice. I think it's non-airline branded. It's a third-party lounge. And the lounge I spent my time with with Lufthansa is called the Prime Lounge. All these names always. It's upstairs so on the second floor of the airport, and you have... Kind of very cool views of the apron. There's no observation there. There's a smoking section that is outside. I'm not sure you want to go because people are smoking it, but it's outside, so the smoke won't bother too much. But you're not really seeing better views that you're seeing from the windows. So I wouldn't actually recommend it. There are some quirks. For instance, every time I flew, again, because I was flying Lufthansa, Lufthansa, when they fly... These flights are co-chairs with like United. It's really funny because at Riga Airport they still have... The old United logo when they displayed <laughs> the United. <laughs> so I find it super, uh, super cool. So, yeah, Air Baltic is the national carrier, but you have others that uh, have uh, their base there, including Wizz And I think Ryanair is maybe the second biggest after Air Baltic, the second biggest. That's another way to uh, for you to go there. There's no train yet to go to the city. The city is not really far. Taxis are cheap. You can use um, apps like Taxify to go to the city. Uh, but they have this major project called Rail Baltica, which is kind of connecting the three Baltics with rail. And that would stop in the airport and bring you to the city. But they just signed, I think, the contract to start the design of this thing. So this won't yeah, be happening be for while. before. A, yeah, a few years. So again, very easy airport. I went one through fast track and once without fast track. In both cases, they were super fast. The, the, the people are really you know, kind, so it's very easy. So there's no security at the gates. Thank God it's really at the entrance. Nothing absolutely special, but the advantage of these small airports is that you can arrive just literally before your flight and still make it. Uh, There's a few shop options, including, of course, the souvenirs from the region, which is really nice. They have a few actually good uh, food options within the terminal. And again, you know, they say A, B, C, but they all connected. So if you read about some cool food joint in C and you're in A, you can actually go there. Don't worry. It's like literally 35 seconds away. (laughs) But... But the most striking, and the reason I wanted to mention this airport, the most striking thing about this airport is the Riga
0: Aviation Museum. Ah, yes. Yeah. (laughs) You know what's so... Yeah, I'm so glad you brought that up because the current airport was designed to replace Spilva Airport, which is an old military airport, which is still in use. It's a general aviation airport. But they have that stunning terminal that was built in 1928, I believe. I, know,
1: I in, this, in, in that region. if oh, I, yeah, And
0: it's I just think. the most beautiful kind of gothic revival meets art deco building that was abandoned forever. And now they're turning it into, or actually it is now, as you say, the Latvian Aviation Museum.
1: When you're in front of the entrance of the departures, just keep walking. Keep walking straight. And you'll arrive at an airfield, which seems abandoned. It's actually currently under a negotiation to who he actually belongs to. But you have right there a guy. I think he's called. If I don't forget his name, I think Victor. 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 I think. <laughs> you go there. You have gates. Sometimes they're closed. There's a small bell you can ring. You have an Aeroflot U one three four. You have an Antonov An two. You have a Mig twenty five. Mig twenty three. Mig twenty nine. Mig fifteen. You have. I don't know how many all uh, USSR helicopters. You have also the ZIL trucks, the very famous Russian ZIL trucks as well. You have fire trucks, you know, like the kind of fire trucks that would be on airfields in airports, but all from the USSR period. It's almost abandoned, as in, you know, a lot of them are rusty. But my God, it's amazing. Especially the, uh, the Antonov AN-2, which uh, it's a light aircraft. It's not one of these, you know, the, the 24, whatever, but it's one of their largest biplane if not the largest biplane in the world it's absolutely wonderful and it's literally five minutes walk from the airport it's very easy to see on google maps when i say rusty i'm saying it's not like a nice place as in they're literally sitting there on grass and you have to walk through them but my god it's really for any av geek and i'm not into military aircrafts myself but it's absolutely fascinating to see. So yeah, just just do that. Just do that. it's one of the best features of this airport. It's not technically part of the airport. Uh, it's free, although I'm sure that uh, Victor, I think his name was uh, would be uh, very glad that you give him a tip because he's doing that on by himself, basically, right wow. He's uh, he's keeping all this stuff. I think he was himself serving in a Navy aviation in the Black Sea Navy, I think before that. And then uh, worked at an aircraft engineer and then just decided to do that. And I think he still kind of runs the Pilots Club or something in Latvia or in Riga. I don't remember. Oh, flipping yeah. Cool yeah, yeah. So, guys, I mean, just for that, I mean, the airport is really cool. I Would would I do a layover? Yeah, of course I would do a layover because it's really cute and nice. But that feature alone, just, guys, if you're a navy geek, again, and even if you're not into... A military aircraft just walk five minutes and see that yeah it's yeah. worth it
0: i it's such a beautiful setup there
1: so would you do a LA layover there
0: yeah hey you had <laughs> me at aviation museum
1: <laughs> well where are you flying next alex
0: I'm going to Delhi on Monday. Oh yes! Oh, I'm so, so very jealous. Both for the weather, although we have, I, like, I think we well, 39 weather, we degrees to... in Delhi. Holy
1: cow! What are you talking Celsius or yeah, Fahrenheit? Celsius, Celsius, right? Oh my in, goodness!
0: In, yeah. So. And the humidity levels must be lower also... at the moment, but uh, oh. we are in one of the most polluted cities on earth. So we'll see how it goes. Staying, what? A couple of days or something? Three days on the ground. Yep, and then coming back. Going there and back on Etihad via Abu Dhabi. I have a big oh, chunk oh. of time and uh, uh, coming back in Abu Dhabi. So I'll come with some interesting stories about lounges and little hotels. Or I may go into Abu Dhabi and eat. So you're not planning to go out uh, to go to, this, to, the, I might, to the city? I might. I, um, I haven't decided yet. Have you tried to bid your way up? Yes, I have. Uh, I have on a couple of the legs. Some of the legs are just ridiculously expensive. I'm I'm still waiting. I actually don't know how long it takes or when I should be notified one way or the other. Probably by tomorrow. I think it's 48 hours.
1: I'm not even sure, actually. Once I did that, and I literally learned I was being
0: upgraded after the bid by the time I was at the gate. I was like, oh, okay. I didn't know. (laughs) Yeah, well, I mean, that's... uh, I think... It's a neat process. They have a thing where you can bid on the seats next to you in economy as well. You yep. can actually go up to three. But I think that has disaster written all over it because you're just gonna get someone <laughs> moving into it anyway. So <laughs> and, and honestly, if they allow to do that Sometimes I'm wondering
1: if the plane will be full in the first place anyway. So yeah, maybe you might have exactly. been lucky to move yourself and find somewhere. It's called, I think, economy economy space. Do you know which aircraft are you going?
0: It's 380 to to, to Abu Dhabi <laughs> and then 320 to Delhi. and oh, then, wow, 320. And then Dreamliner back and then A380 on to London. You know what? The 320 on Etihad
1: was my first ever taste of the ME3. That was uh, more than 10 years ago now, and because Etihad was the first ever, not Emirates, but Etihad was the first one I ever flown. So I had just flown... I'm trying to remember. We had maybe a 330 from Asia to Abu Dhabi. First time in Abu Dhabi. And again, Abu Dhabi Airport hasn't changed since then. No. <laughs> and uh, and then I flew a, a 320. No, I'd be it's very a three, inter- 321. 321. But I'd be very interested for you to tell us how it looks. Because I remember, I mean, it, I was because it was a company paying. So I was in business class, which was slightly larger seats. So nothing, you know, life flat or whatever. But I clearly remember one thing. They had given us Android tablets for the IFE. I'm not sure they were giving that in economy anyway, but it'll be very interesting to to hear about how it it is to fly a 320 nowadays with uh, with Etihad. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. As for me, as I already gave it out earlier in the episode, guys. So yes, to Moscow and uh, back also three days on the ground actually which means that uh, we won't be recording next week but thank god we recorded today i hope that i'll be able to put that one out uh, soon enough because i have so much work guys that i need to edit this but i promise i'll do uh, my best and more stories in the next episode
0: until then guys safe travels happy travels we're definitely both traveling a lot less (laughs)